This is The Guardian. I'm Faker Rothers and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. The WSL is back. Goals, red cards, controversies, away teams winning. We had it all on the first Sunday of the season. Liverpool did what Liverpool do on the opening day, causing an upset against one of the title favourites. No such problems for Chelsea, Manchester United and Manchester City who will kick off with wins. Throw Brighton into that mix too. But it's Leicester who sit top of the pile on goal difference. Willie Kirk screenshotting that table. No talk of relegation this time. So much to delve into, plus we'll take your questions. And that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Well, I mean, you had to suffer a good 45 minutes of me sounding like I was on my deathbed last week in our preview pod. Get well soon, Susie Rack, because she's going to be listening to this tucked up in bed. She insists, insists, nothing to do with that Arsenal result. I mean, you know, there's stuff doing the rounds, but I'm not sure I believe her salon, Andy Hickman. Uh, Susie's a bit of a trooper. And I think if she could be here, she would be here to talk about how sad she is about Arsenal. Well, you say that, but Anita Asante also has a cold. Do you not? I do. I am indeed sporting. You just got to power through sometimes. No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) Yeah, we obviously wish her, you know, that she gets better very soon. But um, yeah, she would be here if she could. To vent, at least. I'm not sure. You know, Salon's ill. I've been ill as well. You know, we'd all turn up for the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Susie Rack is a bailer. A bailer. No, she's not. She's very poorly. Very poorly. Lots of love, Susie. Get yourself better. Um, Salon, have you recovered from your exploits down under? We've not seen you since you've been back. I know. Actually, I was thinking about that the other day. Um, Yeah, it's nice to be back. I did recover. I actually did a bit of a madness. I landed on the Wednesday after the World Cup final at 7am and I went straight from Heathrow with all of my luggage. There was a lot. I bought a lot of stuff in Australia. Straight up to St George's Park, took four trains and ended up at our, the Football Beyond Borders camp with 50 teenage girls all learning to like their first step getting uh, their coaching badges. And it was the best possible way I could have come back from a World Cup because I was the Blues were, they were real. They were really the, the post-World Cup blues. And I just walked into St. George's Park and saw these 50 teenage girls from FBB being like, this is where I'm meant to be coming back. So that soothed me, I think, coming home from a wonderful month. Yeah. And back in the WSL, Anita, how will, I mean, obviously opening day defeat, not great, but how is it being back in the WSL? Fantastic. I think it's great, you know, for a, a club like ours to be back uh, in the WSL, representing the West Country and playing at Ashton Gate. I think the atmosphere was incredible. You know, we got a really good turnout for the club and pre-season is sometimes a drag and then the season gets here and you, they're just raring to go. So, yeah, just happy to start getting the, you know, off to the season, basically. Yeah, very much. Let's kick things off, shall we? And we're starting at the Emirates, actually. Arsenal nil, Liverpool won. A record Barclays Women's Super League crowd witnessing an almighty opening day shock as Liverpool beat Arsenal in North London. Miri Taylor's strike early in the second half, giving Matt Beardside a famous win in front of 54,115 fans. It's actually Liverpool's first 
WSL win over the Gunners since 2016. Aw, Liverpool love a bit of a match day one upset salon, don't they? They do. And I think I I would never have written them off before it because I think if you're going to get a result against the bigger teams in the league, the opening days is the time to do it. And fair play to them. I think they went to a very difficult place to go, knowing that they were probably going to be against that record crowd of people who have a lot of expectation, I think, for Arsenal this season. And suddenly you're there one nil up and you're defending like everything depends on it and you get the result. And I think fair play to Liverpool. I think they set up really well. I think the, the back three were particularly brilliant. But yeah, I think it raises a lot more questions for Arsenal than it does kind of let us learn about Liverpool. Because yeah, as I said, I think that's the time to go and get the result. And I think the yeah, the expectation was there. You, you're going into this this game at the Emirates opening day of the season with some brilliant signings over the summer, really statement signings. And you've been knocked out of the Champions League very, very early, a tournament that the club, I think, depend on for exposure, for commercial revenue, for success. And then it's like, okay, well, this is your chance, Arsenal. This is go and go and set out what you want to do this season. And I think we were left feeling incredibly underwhelmed at that Arsenal performance, but don't want to take anything away from Liverpool, who, who definitely deserved that win. Yeah, most definitely. And actually, don't panic too much, Arsenal fans, because Liverpool did this against Chelsea last season and look what happened uh, there. Including the last two matches of last season, though, Anita, the Gunners are now on a run of three successive WSL defeats without scoring. I mean, that's their worst record since 2011-2012. Salon said it's been a challenging start to the campaign with that Champions League exit as well. But are you surprised? Because, I mean, I don't know if you heard last week's pod, Susie Rack was smug as any anything last week with the signings that they'd made and you know everything going on behind the scenes but is this a surprise to you? Yeah I think in terms of the money that would have been spent on the recruitment for the season as well to add to the squad depth they would have expected to go further in Champions League you know for whatever reason they just weren't clicking in that game against Liverpool and You've got to be a little bit concerned that they're not scoring goals with the attacking prowess that they have in the side. Although, having said that, obviously they have Beth Mead to come back. They have Vivian Miedema to come back. Uh, obviously, Leah Williamson. But it's a, it's a long season ahead. And sometimes this lag is the wake-up call that a team needs to sort of ignite their season and turn it around. And there will be sort of those teething problems at the beginning so I wouldn't judge them off this result either because we've seen it happen before. We saw that with Chelsea last season. They went on to win the title. So, you know, you don't want to get carried away with the kind of emotional <laughs> and expectations that you have because I think we've got to be considerate as well of the players. A number of those players have been in the World Cup. There might be slight mental fatigue and, and physical fatigue, but ultimately they haven't had a, a great deal of time to build up to the season for the way that they want to play. So I, I'm not going to judge them too harshly on just that performance and result. Yeah, I agree. Sue actually tweeted us to say it seems Arsenal need the injured players back as much as England did, which is a really good point, Sue. Um, you mentioned giving the love to Liverpool Salon. I mean, a first WSL away win, full stop, which is quite incredible since January 2020. First victory over Arsenal in 12 meetings. And actually... 
they had five players out through COVID and were really struggling. They they couldn't. I think they only had about five players on the bench as well. Matt Beard had them so well drilled. It's a brilliant start for them. Definitely, and I think what they did really really well was they wouldn't let Arsenal play down the middle at all. They forced them out wide, and you saw from the amount of crosses that Arsenal were putting in, it was like the only option that they had to try and score a goal was to send the ball out wide. Tim Stillman's done a really good piece on this in the analysis. And what they did was have three very good centre-backs, very tall centre-backs who were just like, well, no, we're going to deal with those crosses fair, easy and get them out. And the goal was a great finish. I think Mary Taylor probably had way too much space in the box and Arsenal be ruined themselves for that one. But they seemed like they had a game plan and they stuck to it. And I think... That is probably where we make that complete amount of times over the last yeah, 24 hours, 48 hours. I've heard, well, Chelsea lost in the opening day of the season last year. This doesn't mean masses. You know, we could still go on and win the league at Arsenal. I think the difference is that Chelsea have Emma Hayes and Arsenal don't. And I think what you see when Arsenal get into these ruts is a lack of different options for them to play. And it's quite difficult to understand, okay, how are we responding to, right, Liverpool have set up to force us out wide and are probably going to beat us in the box when we're getting those crosses. Can we try and play a different way? And and you didn't seem to see that. It, it was just kind of, that was our option. Let's try and go for that route. And that's where I think Jonas Eidevel needs to have different options and he needs to think about, you know, the players that he has at his disposal who are world-class players. You have, you know, Victoria Pelova who can do a job over England, why can't she come on and, and play against Liverpool and do what she did for the Netherlands against this Liverpool team? And she doesn't. So, yeah, I would be quite worried if this is kind of, yeah, a symbol of, of what's to come for Arsenal. Yeah, it was a frustrating afternoon for Alessia Russo, Anita, wasn't it? She managed only one attempt at goal, three touches inside the penalty area and was replaced by Stina Blackstenius on 73 minutes. I mean... It always takes players time to settle and maybe because we're not quite sure where this Arsenal team are at. She's a newbie. There's other newbies in there. It's going to take a while, isn't it? Yeah, of course it will. It's a time for her to build the sort of relationships on the pitch with the players she's going to be playing next to. But I think when you look at the game, the first half in particular, for those first 20 minutes, Arsenal were getting lots of joy in behind Liverpool but didn't capitalise and then stopped doing it. They stopped believing in that for whatever reason and started then, you know, playing into Liverpool's game plan, playing out wide. And what I was annoyed about is not necessarily the personnel lack or lack of bonus adapting personnel changes. Sometimes it's, it's the way the team is playing. And in that first half, they were in control. They were playing in Liverpool's half, but they were just forcing crosses into the box which you don't have to do. You know, we've seen teams like Barcelona play a possession style football against low blocks. I was disappointed in the lack of opposite movement, you know, having uh, Alessia Russo, who predominantly occupies centrally and pins defenders. They were sometimes just queuing in the box, you know, like just find me, you know, whatever. But it's so easy to defend players that are stood right in front of you. And I wanted to see more of those late deep runs from midfielders and beyond to stretch the team or the forwards drop in a bit low. And that's what I think they lacked as well. And Amidama kind of does that for you because she plays in that false nine, 10 role and and goes into spaces that players don't want to get into. But I do think there was impact from the subs. So that is a positive. Her team was impactful. She's good in tight spaces, Pelova, the same. Black Stenius, as soon as she came on, 
because they know exactly what to expect from her. Stretches the back line, you know, space and behind. The team started playing that way almost instantaneously. So it's, it's a bit of all of those things not coming together, if that makes sense, at the right time, at least in my opinion, and because they dominated the ball. But credit to Liverpool, I think they've cut out or, you know, diminished mistakes, which is what a lot of the teams uh, that play the top three or four do sometimes play into the hands of, of the, you know, the better teams. They had fewer mistakes and they were diligent and disciplined. And when they got the goal, actually, I think you saw the belief in their game plan. Then they really stuck to it. And you've got to say Rachel Laws and, and Gemma Bonner for me were outstanding as well. Yeah, they really were. It, it feels as if Arsenal need a little bit of oil on the cogs to start clicking a little bit, but no time for them to feel sorry for themselves. The small matter of a trip to Manchester United on Friday night. Uh, speaking of Mark Skinner's side, Aston Villa won, Manchester United two. They had to come from behind to win it. Drama of the late variety, United fighting back thanks to a 92nd minute winner from substitute Rachel Williams. It was a real competitive end-to-end match. Thoroughly enjoyed it. 12,533 fans at Villa Park, which is a WSL record crowd uh, for the club. A brilliant game, Salon. I mean, why do we love this so much? It's, it, it's, it makes us pretty sad, really, I think, but only made better by Lucia Garcia dropping an F-bomb live on the <laughs> on the telly box. <laughs> um, but, I mean, they took advantage of that squad that they've bolstered over the summer able to bring on the likes of Hinata Miyazawa, Nikita Paris Rachel Williams uh, and it was those two combined for the winner. I thought Nikita Paris had a great game actually. Yeah definitely I mean what an exciting first game to kick us off uh, for the WSL and wicked that it was played at Villa Park as well two very fun teams to watch play football I think from last season. Uh, obviously Villa stole a lot of people's hearts didn't they and it, yeah, there was a lot of excitement to see Villa come out with with a few reinforcements, but really to see United and who they were going to start up top. I thought Jace played really, really well. I think she was an absolute nuisance up top. Yeah, wanted to see a bit more, you know, Miyazawa, but I think we've got a long season ahead of us to see her play. But I thought in terms of the excitement and the levels of intensity that this game showed, I think that 1-0 that Villa, that daily goal was brilliant I think you see <laughs> every time I watch Rachel Daly in the WSL score brilliant goals I think why didn't we do that in the World Cup final <laughs> she can create something out of nothing she just creates space for herself and she needs half a second to beat the world's best goalkeeper at a near post and that's what you've got when you've got Rachel Daly playing in the box but yeah I thought yeah Villa will feel a little bit hard done by I think as well with the red card, but overall, a wicked game to kick off the WSL. Yeah, let's talk about that red card, Anita, shall we? Kirsty Hansen sent off for a high tackle on Hayley Ladd. She later apologised on social media, saying, I'd never hurt anyone intentionally. It was accidental. I'm sorry to Hayley and I'm sorry to the fans and the team. I feel like I let you all down today. I feel like she knew instantly when she'd done it, she just mistimed it. Yeah, I agree with you. You could tell by her reaction, you know, she looked really upset, obviously. I think she had her head in her hands and, you know, her shirt pulled up and she knew. And it's one of those unfortunate things. It was a desire, obviously, to win the ball. And I thought she had her eyes on the ball, actually. So, you know, that shows that she was really trying to compete for it. Um, And it's just one of those things. She mistimed it. Unfortunately, it was a red card. But I think the reaction and the character that Villa showed despite going down to 10 players, was really good. 
and and something that Carla Ward would have really been impressed with to see that her team could cope and and still compete and give themselves a sort of a chance to stay in the game as much as they could. But uh, yeah, it was just unfortunate to see because I think she's been exceptional, you know, Kirsty Hansen since she's arrived at the club, been really impactful um, last season and, and especially the start of this season, as well as the way she played for Scotland against England. So um, that's really exciting, I think, for, for Villa. Yeah, it was, a, it was a big decision. Carla Ward, you know, understood that one, but was pretty unhappy that Mayor Letizia wasn't sent off for a body check on Ebony Salmon. It wouldn't be football in this day and age if there wasn't grumbling about the standard of, of officiating uh, Salon. Did she have a point? I mean, as a Liverpool men's fan, I'm quite triggered by that question, Faye, after this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've had enough talking about referees and referees who sit in a box and look at a screen and don't put lines on a pitch. Yeah, I think, yeah, she's going to be annoyed with that one, I think. Yeah, she. I think she's always a dignified manager, right, in terms of how she comes out. She's not going to stick it on them, but you would be upset. And I think she argued that a few of the, the big decisions had gone against them and she's going to focus in on that one. But it's also really annoying in a game like that when the winning chance comes when it did in the game and you're kind of really holding out and grinding out and you think the odds are against you. Again, parallels with Liverpool-Tottenham at the weekend. And then it's the 90 plus two where you concede and you feel like, okay, well, whatever we do here, it's gone against us. So, yeah, I think she's got a point, but also we could spend a lot of time talking about referees at this league and hopefully we don't this season. It's about to get my violins out. <laughs> no, I genuinely feel that uh, that's very harsh because I feel I think everybody in the football world felt for you. Um, and, you know, not that many people say that if they're not of a Liverpool persuasion, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> Well, I wasn't going to bring it up, but obviously I'm a Liverpool fan too. And so, you know, let's the less we say about that, the better. But um, yeah, I, I think that to me, it was kind of shocking that the referee and the lino missed it. You know, it's it clear attacking play down the right-hand side. Aston Villa worked themselves into such a good position to attack and trying to create something. And it's a total off-the-ball incident. Like, you know, she's completely been wiped out with no attempt to play the ball or get into the, the space. And really, it was just lazy defending, actually, from Mia Letizia. She didn't want to have to sprint into the space to cover the cross. So the easiest thing was to just block a player quite aggressively. But these decisions do matter because it affects the momentum in a match. It affects the mentality sometimes of a player that feels like, oh, you know, you've got the, the momentum, you're going forward, you've got more energy, and suddenly you lose energy and you get more deflated sometimes. So the less of those things we see, the better. Yeah, I agree. Um, you, you mentioned that Carla Ward was incredibly proud of her players. You played under her, Anita. I mean, they, they, I felt as if they showed their credentials. Can they upset the traditional top four, do you think, this season? I mean, it's difficult to say that based on one performance, but what do you reckon? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I think they were the best of the rest last season, weren't they? And, you know, like Ceylon mentioned, Daly is is one of those strikers you just know is going to score. I feel like you feel it in your bones almost like she makes creates things out of nothing. A, a touch for that goal was exceptional. And there's that belief in the side now. I, I really do think they have more belief in the whole team. They've got in a good goalkeeper in Van Domsela, good replacement for the loss of Hannah Hampton, extra reinforcements and depth on the in the squad. That makes a huge difference to the team and, and how you can rotate and adapt throughout the season. 
I think if they could just, like most teams, it's fewer mistakes, the more chance you have of winning games and being a lot closer to those top four teams. Yeah. Next stop, Stamford Bridge. Holders Chelsea kick-starting their title defence with a 2-1 win over Tottenham. And it was a dream debut for summer signing Mia Fischel, getting on the end of a superb Neve Charles cross to give Emma Hayes side the lead before Lauren James scrambled the ball home, sparing the blushes of the officials because, oh dear, we're talking about it again, aren't we? That shot just before from Guru Wrighton had actually quite clearly crossed the line. More on that in a minute. Uh, They didn't have it all their own way, though, Chelsea. It was a nervy finish. Martha Thomas reducing the deficit with 15 minutes or so to go. But they did avoid another shock opening day defeat and got the job done, Salon. As a good Emma Hayes side always does. (laughs) Um, Yeah, they, they withstood the pressure, I think, of Spurs well in that game. And they had the both the individual and collective brilliance to be able to override it and create the moments that they needed to win that game. But I did think Spurs as well. I think it was great to see a Spurs side come out and play that well. Um, we're not really used to that, I think, after last season's I think nine nine losses on the bounce at one point um, towards the end of the season. But yeah, I think it was exciting to see that Fisher and Lauren James link up. I think we're going to see more of that over the, uh, the season. And yeah, wicked to see Lauren James playing in that number 10 role and being able to slide those passes through and, and play really creatively and also know that there is a, you know, a new player that she gets to form a new relationship with who feels like they're going to have an absolute vibe and she's going to finish a lot of, of James's chances and, and, and set her up. So yeah, it was really cool to see them back out there. I think, I think Lauren James, Again, I think it will be another brilliant season for her. Yeah, I think it was an interesting game. I think it's good to see Emma trust Fischl to start. He doesn't normally bring, you know, new transfers straight into the mix in the season. But I think she played fearlessly, was brave. She brought some of that character and personality into the game, you know, which was great to see already linking up really well, as Ceylon mentioned. But I think there is a slight, Flip side, you know, in terms of Tottenham, you know, they had a completely different identity compared to last season. You know, they were almost dragged into that relegation battle and to see them more attacking, showing a bit more desire to go forward, feeling like they could compete with Chelsea shows a different mentality shift and actually the the work of Robert Willingham to come in there and, and have immediate impact in the team. And actually, I think they had the most shots, you know, and opportunities on Chelsea's goal that Chelsea have experienced, ever experienced this last season. So, you know, that was an interesting uh, thing as well, because it shows that Chelsea still have work to do. You know, yes, they've got the individual brilliance of players like uh, Lauren James, for example, but I felt like collectively as a team, there were still a lot of holes in the side and, and Emma definitely will want to see an improved performance. Yeah, we're used to them starting slowly, aren't we? But I I loved that combination between James and Fischl, actually. I feel as if, bearing in mind that's their their first competitive game that they've played together, their connection was brilliant. But, you know, it's, it's interesting you say that about Tottenham as well, because, you know, under their new manager, I feel like we're seeing signs that they can improve on last season's ninth place finish. Before we go into that VAR conversation, here's what he had to say about Manchester United loanee Grace Clinton. He said she looks like a real talent. Uh, She's going to be the next superstar in this country, if you ask me. I think she's brilliant and has the potential to be so, so good. What say you, Coach Anita? You know, I couldn't agree with him more. Like, Grace Clinton was 
such a joy to work with and coach at Bristol City. Obviously, we had her on loan last season in the championship. She is a huge talent. She's such a good ball carrier, really competent technically, skillful, has the ability to score goals and assist, but has the confidence as well for such a young player to take on that kind of responsibility. And I think she's a great signing and addition to Tottenham who needed players with a bit more creativity, you know, and, and could exploit and create space not only for themselves, but for others. And it seems like, you know, if that's the style that they're trying to implement this season, that will definitely suit her because, you know, she wants to be on the ball. She's always looking to be an option and, and she's a great kid with a lot of, you know, lots of personalities. She's a scouser, so she's great. <laughs> Listen, I feel like I'm being really mean today. I've thrown Susie under the bus for being ill and now I'm talking to two Liverpool fans consistently (laughs) about VAR. I'm really, really sorry. I didn't wake up this morning and get out of bed and think I'm going to just be really mean to everybody at all. I promise. Emma Hayes said it was embarrassing Guru Ryson's goal wasn't given when everyone in the stadium knew that it had gone in. She said, I said to the fourth official, I bet you're glad that James scored straight away. If this is the top level of football, the Premier League of Women's Football, we need to have VAR in all games so it's something we've spoken about on the pod repeatedly actually and I think we're all you know very measured about where the growth of women's football is and the fact that actually a lot of the infrastructure around it needs to catch up with how much it's exploded particularly since the the lionesses won the euros but but what do you think about this why isn't there like why isn't there the basic technology. This isn't even VAR that we're talking about. This is the, you know, the little buzzer on the watch to show that the ball's gone over. That's goal line technology. We've had goal line technology in the men's game long before we had VAR in the men's game. I think Emma Hayes is absolutely right when she calls it embarrassing. I think you cannot, on the one hand, start propelling the game and everything around it to these levels and these heights and and playing the openers at these massive men's stadiums and trying to fill them out. And then on the other hand, not have the basic requirements that if the men's team were playing in that stadium, they would have. So when you're a fan or you're a player or you're a manager and you come to those big grounds and you come to these big days and the opening day of the WSL and you think about the profile of where the game's got to, the build-up, everything, and then you have the the very basic things that let you down. We can't be doing one without the other. You can't propel the game and then not bring with it the basic things you need to be able to play the game at that level. I would maybe understand it if it was at King's Meadow or we're talking about stadiums like Boreham Wood, right? And maybe the infrastructure of the stadium doesn't allow for that level of technology. I don't know. I don't know how it works. But when you're playing it on the same level, then we have to demand the same expectations. And I genuinely, I would like the question to be answered. Why don't we have just the basic goal line technology to buzz whether that ball has gone over the line or not? That doesn't involve six people sitting in a van outside the stadium looking at loads of screens and the technology. That just involves an advancement we had in the game a long time ago on the men's side. So yeah, it's really infuriating. We're just going to keep getting these embarrassing moments at the level we're at now at on Sky Sports, on BBC News, talking about these things. And then it gives more people ammunition to say, actually, I want to switch off from the women's game because it doesn't have the same, it's not being treated with the same respect because we're not putting the basic things in to know whether a goal is scored or not. Yeah, I think there's an argument for some supporters that would probably go, well, I enjoy watching the women's game because it doesn't have VAR Mm. (laughs) interfering as well. So, you know, that's one part of it. But I do think that obviously if we had VAR across the WSL, 
it would be a, a marker of progress and equality in terms of, you know, being the same as our counterparts. But on the flip side of that, until all the teams are performing and playing at their men's stadiums, which we really want to call the club's stadiums, it should be for all their teams, then it would work perfectly fine. Um, the fact that they're not is probably the, the problem, you know, that they're playing at smaller grounds, as you mentioned, whether that's Kings Meadow, you know, us at HPC or whatever, that doesn't allow for that. But um, I think there is a bigger argument for goal line technology. That would be great to see that come into the game across the board. And the difficulty thing is you, you could play at Stamford Bridge and have VAR and then next week be playing at a smaller ground and not have it. And then it brings inconsistencies within the game in terms of fairness, doesn't it? So that's the other problem. So I think, again, I we know it comes back to the governance side of things, of the game, money and budgets, and whether or not they're willing to redirect and, and prioritise that for the progression of the game, you know, but ultimately it's so competitive now, there's so much more money involved now that results matter and managers' jobs are potentially on the line based of, you know, these really imperative decisions. So it is something that I would like to see coming across the board. Yeah, and to clarify, I'm not that fussed whether VAR comes into the women's game because I think it it hasn't been proven to <laughs> maybe I'm just bitter this weekend but it hasn't been proven to work or to to solve the problems we thought it was going to solve yet and that will take time and I'd much rather it came to the women's game when the men's game have worked out how to how to use it properly and I appreciate that VAR takes a bit more human resource I guess in terms of you have to have a different level of skill set and training to be able to be those referees in that space. It's a completely, and and we're currently in a situation in the women's game where we don't have enough women refs, right? Just on field refs where we haven't got a big enough pipeline. We are trying to diversify that pipeline to ensure that there's more women refs coming through. So I appreciate that that's maybe a step further and maybe not a step that we want first. I think one of the insulting slash embarrassing thing is just that basic goal line technology. And that would be something that would be quite an easy save across all of our stadiums at the levels we're playing the WSL at now, I think. Yeah, we are planning on doing a, a refereeing focus at some point during the season. So we'll delve more into that. I'm sure it's not the last we've heard about the goal line technology slash VAR debate either. Uh, so Chelsea not at their best and they'll need to step it up because on Sunday they make the trip to Manchester City. And that's where we're heading next in part two. We'll round up the rest of the opening weekend action and get you caught up to speed with the latest in the championship. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. And so we go to East London, where Gareth Taylor's Manchester City side had to play the final 20 minutes with 10 players. But goals from Lauren Hemp and Jill Rord guided them to a 2-0 victory over West Ham. New Hammers captain Mackenzie Arnold gave her side hope when she saved Chloe Kelly's penalty to keep the score at 1-0. But Rord was able to get her debut goal shortly after to seal all three points for City. How do we assess this opening result for them, Anita? I mean, it wasn't the most scintillating win by any means, but job done. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that, job done. I think um, it's a really positive result for City when you think about how they started last season, um, they had a slow start to the season, had a lot of injuries and then a lot of, you know, ingoings and outgoings of really influential and key players 
So to see them get off to a good start and and win a game, you know, relatively comfortably to some degree was important for them because they'll want to improve on last season's finish in the table. And they've brought in obviously the likes of Jill Rod, who has lots of WSL experience. And I think it's a chance for players like Mary Fowler, for example, to take on a new kind of role within the side and added responsibility uh, for attacking play. But, you know, I think City's a team that has a clear identity and ethos on the pitch. You you know what they're going to do. And once they get to the levels we know they can, then they're just like unplayable. So, yeah, I think it was a comprehensive start for them and they've got some really good players. But this year, hopefully they have fewer injuries that will impact the team and they have a bit more squad depth, which I think will help them. Yeah, they need a better start, don't they, Salon? I mean, we questioned on last week's preview show as whether or not they had enough in the transfer window uh, in terms of freshening that squad up. Based on what Anita said just there and what you saw over the weekend, are they are they real contenders this season? It's always so hard to tell with City, isn't it? What they did last year was, we I think a lot of us wrote them off quite early on and then they went on this absolute run and, and surprised us all and where they just started grinding out results quite quietly in the background and we sort of, yeah, written them off. Yesterday, I think Jill Rod's going to have a good year. I think she's got a point to prove. She really, really forced that move, didn't she? And I think when you're kind of carrying that on your shoulders in an opening day back in the WSL, she's going to want to do well and I think she did play really, really well. But I think, yeah, once at City as a whole, I went into this season thinking maybe after a World Cup that Mary Fowler will be a bit like a new signing because we, you know, they did the one in, one out sort of transfer window, but maybe because they didn't really utilise players like Mary Fowler much last season. And actually, after a brilliant World Cup, I think she is such a brilliant talent and hopefully we'll see more and more of her this season. Yeah, I think you've still got a brilliant forward line in that team. Chloe Kelly, Lauren Hemp, Mary Fowler, Bunny Shaw, now adding Jill Rod as a, a creative attacking player in there as well. I think they could be dark horses again this season and we shouldn't write them off just because they've only had a, a small transfer window where they haven't done much business. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. It's, it's really easy to go down a narrative, isn't it? Particularly in the media when you start to look at results. But first week... And here we go, making a narrative. Concerns for West Ham already. <laughs> um, former Spurs boss Rianne Skinner uh, now in charge. But their new number nine, Rico Huecki, limped off injured before the hour mark. And actually, she was their only bright spark, really, in the final third. That would be a really big blow. We don't know what's happened to her. But, you know, if anything's going to keep her out of action, Anita, that's going to make West Ham struggle a little bit. Absolutely. I, I think no one wanted to see her go off the pitch and she was the bright spark for West Ham. She's the one that has the impetus to make something happen and be a bit more creative and, and sort of is the focal point for this West Ham side in terms of their attack. So I think they seem like a solid team. They've got lots of good players who are experienced, but my worry is that they're going to fall into sort of that defensive DNA, you know, where they just don't, really click and they don't really find ways to break other teams down and create a lot. You know, they, they'll be kind of difficult to beat or very hard to beat in some matches, but will they be able to flip that mentality and that character to then play more expansive and break down, you know, the opposition and, and create a bit more. So yeah, I, I, that's my concern really for West Ham. 
Yeah, well, they've got Brighton up next, away from home. City, though, hosts Chelsea on Sunday, which is going to be pretty tasty. A couple more opening day fixtures for us to wrap up. Bristol City back in the WSL, and that's where we're going to check in. Ashton Gate, Leicester City triumphing over newly promoted Bristol City in a 4-2 win. Carrie Jones's deflected shot opened the scoring for the home side, but Amy Palmer's stunning equaliser from 20 yards out just on the stroke of half-time sparked the Foxes' comeback. Anita, it was uh, first match back in the WSL for Bristol City. Not the result you would have wanted, but as you said at the top of the show, plenty of positives to take from the performance, particularly in the first half. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I was really happy to see the way we started the game. Lots of energy, lots of belief. Um, Carrie Jones was really, you know, influential down the left-hand side, was playing how I'm used to seeing her play, attack and and be direct and dynamic and really ask questions of the defence, took on a really good goal. And I think the team suddenly got lifted and felt like, you know, they could really open up the game. But, you know, we'll review the game, obviously. And I think for us, it was important to, you know, lots of these players as their first exposure of top flight football. So they will definitely go back and reflect and, and think about how they felt, I think, emotionally first, how they coped with that audience and, and with a, a game against, you know, now an experienced Leicester side. But I do think that we we kind of, we allowed Leicester to get back into the game, especially the second half. Uh, lapses of concentration, perhaps, for us that we'll, we'll want to sort of address. And um, and Willie Kirk was, was really smart. I think he made some changes that impacted Leicester positively and gave them a bit more momentum. And then we started to sort of drop a bit too deep in, for my liking. And uh, I think that allowed them to really come on top of us and and create a bit more pressure. And then they got their goals. And of course, Amy Palmer's goal was an exceptional goal. And we're used to seeing her score goals like that, obviously having had her previously. So, so that probably hurt a little bit. But, you know, first game is just important to recognise the context of the performance. And I was, we were really, I think, overall quite happy with the way they approached the game. And we'll just try to improve on that. As someone who spends a lot of their life talking about how good football is for emotional processing, Anita, to hear you say that uh, the first thing that the, the reflections will be with the Bristol City players and team will be how they felt and what that experience was like for them to have that space. That makes me really, really happy that those conversations are happening. You can't underestimate it, can you? I think so much of how you feel impacts performance. If you feel good, if you feel nervous, if you have fear, if you feel brave, and it's not about dismissing those, it's about confronting them, understanding them and, and how to manage them, you know, whether that's on the other side of it. There's a lot of male managers uh, that would do well to hear that, Anita, and, and take that on board and, yeah. and learn about the emotional processing of a game and how much it affects. So it's wicked that those conversations are, are happening. Well, you say that, but actually Leicester, you could argue, are mentality monsters, really, under Willie Kirk, bearing in mind what he did with that group of players when they everybody had relegated them before he came in. And actually still, you know, in the latter stages of the season as well. And it, this win feels really big for Leicester after they were in that relegation dogfight all of last season. Did you see any signs that he wants his side to play more on the front foot now they're not scrapping to stay in the league and, you know, determined not to get themselves in that position again? Yeah, definitely. I mean, even at the end of last season when they were in that relegation battle, I felt that performance-wise, they were better than their results. 
actually. Uh, a lot of the games, they they tested um, other teams. They had opportunities to score. They were missing some kind of clinical finishing in, in lots of moments, which could have turned the game, could have got some results for them. Um, you know, I, I, I thought Hannah Kane was a really good, um, you know, forward player for them because she's so quick. She really stretches the back line. And if she could just be more, you know, clinical in those vital moments, that would make a difference for them. But they had the foundations to build on from last season. They've got that now embedded in the players. The players who were there would have experienced what a relegation is like. So they want to come into this season with a better start and a bit more belief. And, and he had more time as well with a preseason to really implement all of his fundamentals and his principles going into the team. So I do think they already look so much better off um, from having gone through that experience as well. Yeah. Last but not least, Brighton began life under Melissa Phillips with a 2-1 win on the road at Everton. Perfect start for them. Salon, Elizabeth Turland flying out the box with both goals inside the opening 15 minutes. She looked a real threat throughout. And, you know, the fact they've got the experience of Pauline Bramer back in the WSL to help them see the game out as well seems massive. Yeah, absolutely. I thought Turland had a, had a wonderful game, obviously, getting the brace, but um, big applaud it to uh, Katie Robinson as well I think who was the creator for, for both of those goals and she just played with such an intensity it was almost like she had sort of a, I don't know a chip on her shoulder or something to prove to say this is going to be my season and I'm going to absolutely take it and yeah she, she hits the bar for that first goal and then the second one I think she's she's driving through the middle and then kind of turn and gets the the, the slot home but yeah Brighton looked really good obviously on the road playing away from home and makes you really excited to see what they can can do this season can they you know be finishing in the sort of top third top half of the of the table but yeah questions for Everton I feel like it's going to be a difficult and long season for them yeah what do you reckon to Everton's season Anita we we raised concerns in the preview pod about their defensive frailties we saw it in the game again caught cold always playing catch up it's going to be as Salon says a, a long season for them yeah and especially after losing Gabby George you know a leader uh one of the sort of veterans of the team someone who I think had a lot for them in and out of possession as well they, that they don't look to now. And I just felt they were a bit reactive to situations, a bit slower to certain scenarios, and they switched off a lot. Um, so, so that's a concern. Obviously, Hannah Benison was a big name signing for them uh, last season, and there was lots of big expectation. So it's whether or not they can get the best out of her as well this season, because she was supposed to, you know, she's going to be, the creative spark for them. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's really hard to define so early, I think, with one result, what what they're going to do um, this season. I think there's obviously lots for them to improve on. And I do think they've got experience in a team. You know, Katina Vea can play multiple positions. Uh, the Danish international, you've got Garli, Aurora Garli, who I think is really good as well, creative player. But it just didn't click for them in this game. And that's probably credit to Brighton because of the way they were playing, the, how dynamic they were. And they were sort of an unknown entity for all of us. But I've seen Melissa Phillips in the championship. I know she's a very capable manager and, and her style of play is going to be quite attacking minded when she can do. And she showed that, which was was really you know fun to see. She'll be glad to be out of the championship, as I know you as well, because it's really tight this season, actually. Blackburn Rivers at top of the pile after a 2-0. Did I say Blackburn Rivers? I did, didn't I? 
Blackburn Ravers. <laughs> I think we should just go with it. Let's just oh, call the women's God. side the Blackburn Ravers. <laughs> Blackburn Rovers top of the pile after their 2 win on the road. At bottom of the table, Lewis on Sunday. Sunderland kept the pressure on with a 2-1 win over Watford. A welcome three points for Reading, their first win of the season after beating Durham. After, of course, they were relegated from the WSL last season. Also wins for Birmingham, their first of the season. And Charlton as well, but incredibly tight across the division. Just five games in. We'll be keeping an eye on that throughout the season uh, for you, of course, and doing a bit more of a focus when uh, when we've got a little bit more time in the pod. We need to wrap up as well what we saw in the international break last week. Susie and I were in Utrecht to watch England's third loss under manager Serena Wiegman, the Netherlands scoring a 90th minute winner in the Nations League to beat the Lionesses 2-1 in Utrecht. <sighs> It was a pretty underwhelming game, to be honest. I thought the Netherlands were excellent. And I tell you what, if Vivian Miedemar had been in that side, it could have been more for sure. But it does mean the Lionesses need to navigate a doubleheader with Belgium in October and then take points off the Netherlands and Scotland in December if they're going to reach the Nations League final and then guarantee qualification for Team GB at next summer's Olympics. Uh, Group A1 is, uh, is pretty tight as well. And it's our least favourite topic of conversation, but some more devastating injuries coming out of the international break. Scotland and Real Madrid star Caroline Weir ruptured her ACL in the first half of their one-all draw with Belgium at Hampden Park last week. And a week earlier, Scotland also lost their 17-year-old starlet from Manchester United, Emma Watson, uh, to the same injury in training. Just awful for her, having joined from Rangers in the summer, looking like such a bright prospect. So many um, exciting comments about her. It's just rubbish all round. Anita isn't it yeah it's you know it's just so you just feel for the players every time a player goes down with an injury especially an ACL I've experienced it twice I know the mental slog and the drain and and the disappointment and sadness that comes with that for the individual especially Caroline Weir because you know she's such an exciting player so much talent really important player for a national team um, as well as Real Madrid and obviously she'd be a contender for Team GB as well. We've had so many conversations about ACLs. I don't even know where to go with this. There's so many variables as to why and how and when it happens. Sometimes it's innocuous, sometimes it isn't. I'm still on the side of, you know, recovery is important for these players. The fixture and the calendar, I think, could have an impact as well. And I think, you know, preparation into games, into training, um, is a key part of, of of reducing ACLs if that could be sort of consolidated across the league in a more defined way that might start to help us identify what these variables are that are impacting the number of these injuries. Yeah, new research has shown that female athletes are up to six times more likely to have a non-contact ACL injury than their male counterparts. And yeah, I mean, we, we talk about it constantly and I think there is pressure on and there are people doing research but it needs to speed up a little bit I would say because it's just happening far too often well done you two um you did a lot of heavy lifting there with Susie sitting listening in in bed thank you Anita see you soon thanks for having me it was a pleasure as always Salon, I don't know whether you want to tell people where you're off to next, but what I have discovered is your wonderful green nails making a bit of a statement I've got a green coat as well to go with. Um, yeah, I think that the less said, the better about where I'm spending my day. 
Okay. Well, check out social media if uh, <laughs> dares to dares to put it in there. No, she says no. She's not. We'll just leave some mystery for the listeners. <laughs> yes, but she's doing some wonderful work. It's all in the name of wonderful work. That is the point of it. For young people. For young people. For young yeah. people. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, we'll be back with you next Tuesday to recap the second round of WSL fixtures and some absolute crackers to come, including Manchester United, Arsenal and Manchester City, Chelsea. Uh, remember, you can be part of the show by emailing us at Women's Football Weekly at theguardian.com. Don't forget also to subscribe to the Moving the Goalposts newsletter. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is produced by Lucy Oliver. Music composition was by Laura Iredale. Our executive producer is Sal Ahmad. This is The Guardian. 